Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Hey, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. All good things must come to an end, and after a dozen years and 640 weekly episodes, my involvement with the show will be complete for the foreseeable future. Have no fear, though. Coach Stevens and Dr. Nelson will continue with a modernized version of the show pretty much everywhere that matters, on iTunes, on the web in general, with a new website, and on YouTube. The legacy material from version 1.0 of the show will remain up, and it will contain links you can follow to all the new stuff. Thanks. It's been an honor. Welcome, IN Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutrition scientist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild, and I'm currently in Montana giving a seminar. Sweet. <coughs> We love Montana. Yes, yes. Kind of smoky, but uh, other than that, it's beautiful. Nice. This is Dr. Mike Denelson, creator of the Flex Diet Cert and the PhysFlex Cert, and associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute. Cool. All right, everybody. We're going to start with some Olympics news. Uh, Phil, you were mentioning some stuff about Sarah, so let's, let's check in with that. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, so Sarah Robles became almost took silver. Um, the girl from England stepped up and hit a big clean and jerk at the very end and uh, took silver. But Sarah became the first American female to ever get two medals in the Olympics. So wow! And then she awesome. had the world. She won the worlds too in between those. So, but uh, yeah, she was stoked. Uh, you could watch it. Just you could tell just watching the video, um, the live stream. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's big news for America. I mean, first woman ever and first person ever since, I think, like, 84 or something like that for the USA to win two medals in their lifetime for uh, USA and weightlifting. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was big stuff. Another weightlifting one that I thought was interesting, the girl from Philippines won the first ever gold medal for that country, and it was in weightlifting. They have never won a gold medal, and... uh it just goes to show you why, um, comparatively to other countries, the incentive for them to win gold medals, because it came out after she won it. She won like 80 million pesos, which works out to $800,000 and two houses for winning a gold medal. Wow. That's what her country wow. gave her. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're set for life. But uh, uh, it would be nice if that happened here. But uh, 
I think athletes here get like thirty thousand dollars if they win a gold medal or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. compared to eight hundred thousand, <laughs> most of them aren't really making any money. Just trying. Oh no, yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. You never hear about them until like after the Olympics. It's like psh, crickets. You know. You, yep, don't, right. you don't hear a thing except for in inner circles. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been confused a little bit about the amateur definition. Um, I remember years yeah. ago this came up over men's basketball, you know, and we, who we were sending to the Olympics and stuff like that, right? Because yeah. yeah, you're supposed to be an amateur as I understand it, but I don't know how those rules have evolved. And it sounds like country by country there's huge differences in prize money, and that's almost that's almost like getting paid. I mean, you know, you're getting paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So – yeah, I mean, if all of a sudden you live in the Philippines and you have $800,000, two houses, you're doing okay for a yeah. long time. Yeah. So. Yep. But. You know, back to Sarah, I think it's awesome that, I mean, the world needs role models. It's one of the clearest ways to for people to sort of motivate and identify with people. And being a, a bigger girl and all about yeah. the strength, she she shows that that's not just okay. It's in some many ways, it's preferable. You know, yeah. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was good. It was a good Olympics. I mean, I watched a lot of it. You could tell in her in her weight class. Anyways, China, of course, took a ton of medals, but the Chinese girl that was a super heavyweight was just no one's touching her for a long time. Mm-hmm. She's twenty one, and like Sarah did amazing, and it's awesome that she. But the, the Chinese girl like won gold before she even clean and jerked. <laughs> oh, wow. she hit something yeah i mean she was like she opened after everybody else was done and kind of played with it and, yeah here i win <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she was many many kilos ahead it was it's amazing watching some of those athletes right i saw some of the smaller women doing weightlifting uh, i don't remember what class but that's actually the only thing in the olympics i have watched i hear people talking about it all the time and you know it sounds weird being somebody who's lifted weights and exercised my whole life, but I'm just not that into sports per se. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I watched some of the women's weightlifting and that's, that's the only thing I even watched. Yep. That's all I watched. Yeah. So. I was part of men's skateboarding the other night and that was actually really cool to see. I would have liked that. I, I could get, was, get into that. Yeah. Like the stuff they were doing. Imagine, so smooth. Yeah. All righty. Um, we have one piece. I don't know if I can even call this news, but it, it's just good open-ended discussion. Um, everybody, as you heard, Phil's on the road, so we want to try to get his input as early on as we can here. And, Phil, you're going to provide a and a Is that right? Tomorrow, maybe? Yes, that's right. Excellent. I think we're going to record that. So. Okay, yeah. So we can, we can add that in for sure. Um, this is called Does When We Eat Matter? This is from the American Society of Nutrition. Now, the reason that I'm bringing it up and saying it's not immediate news, this is from actually December 2020. So this is six months, seven months old now. But I have been saving it. And since my involvement with the show is going to go away, I'm going to cash in on some of this stuff that I've been wanting to talk about. So um, this is from Eric Graber. Uh, And what he's doing is he's basically just – he's going to set the stage and offer a quote and then a study to go with it. So I'm just going to do one or two of these quotes and studies. They're just you know top-end, top-level light summaries. But So here we go. It says, chrononutrition, 
looks at how the timing of eating events affects nutrition status and health outcomes. Specifically, nutrition in, uh, scientists have explored the impact of um, <clears throat> meal frequency, meal skipping, the time span between the first and last daily event of eating, periodic fasting or energy restriction, and the distribution of calorie intake throughout the day. So again, not just what you eat, but when. And I think in sports nutrition, of course, this came to the forefront, oh my God, decades ago, right? Because people immediately start talking about the pre, mid, and post-exercise uh, quote-unquote windows. Um, but let me offer just one or two of these, and I'll get your guys' input. This first one, here's the big quote from the study. Eating less frequently, consuming breakfast, and eating the largest meal in the morning may be effective long-term preventive tools against weight gain. Uh, now, I would urge listeners, keep in mind, are you trying to gain weight or lose weight? Because if you're trying to gain weight, you know, this strategy may not be for you. Remember, this is for preventing unwanted weight gain. It says, ASN member Hannah Kaliova analyzed data for more than 50,000 men and women age 30 and above, and they were uh, part of the Adventist Health Study 2 to look at the relationship between meal frequency and meal timing and body mass index. Uh, the result of their study suggested that, again, quote, eating less frequently and no snacks, so less frequent with no snacks, consuming breakfast and eating the largest meal in the morning may be effective long-term preventive tools against weight gain. The study results also demonstrated that participants who typically had the longest overnight fasts, so 18 hours or more, were more likely to have a lower body mass index compared to people with shorter overnight fasts. Uh, and then, of course, they go on to point out sort of the caveat. Individuals, particularly older adults or someone with chronic disease, they might have to choose meal patterns that are more about weight gain, right, instead of just weight loss or you know weight prevention if you will so less frequent consume breakfast you know, interesting stuff there uh, not a bunch of snacks but again we might do the opposite if you were trying to gain like snacks are a big tool for you know gaining weight arguably and we should get bill campbell on to talk about some of this stuff too in the future but um all right um here's one a study in current developments in nutrition uh, the title is Population Level Descriptive Analysis of Diet Quality According to the Duration of Daily Eating Period. So that's a mouthful. Here's the big quote. Individuals whose daily eating duration was between 8 and 16 hours had the highest diet quality. Now you might think, well, that's subjective. How do you figure out diet quality? Well, I've looked at that before in the past, but you might think about things like fiber intake or fruits and vegetables or whatever. So it says the time interval between the first and last intake of food during the day, that is the daily eating duration, has been identified as a factor that may impact health. Valeria Alehi et al. wanted to investigate further uh, whether there was a relationship between daily eating duration and diet quality. So what they used was something called the Healthy Eating Index. So there are ways to actually grade your diet quality other than saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's relatively, you know, devoid of trans fats or whatever, you know, uh, or low fiber. There are ways to grade the quality, and the Healthy Eating Index is one of them. Uh, it says they found that individuals whose daily eating duration was between 8 and 16 hours 
had the highest diet quality. So in, in a way, it's the inverse of the last study where they were talking about the length of a fat overnight fast could be helpful for preventing weight gain. Here they're saying that period that you actually eat being between 8 and 16 hours had the highest diet quality. It says whether the eating duration was closer to 8 hours of eating or 16 hours did not really affect it. But on the other hand, the people who ate less than 8 hours a day or if they were eating more than 16 hours a day, they had lower diet quality. And I could kind of see that. You know, if you're eating less than eight hours a day, maybe food's just not a priority. You kind of don't care. I don't know. Just a possibility. Or if you're eating more than 16 hours a day, well, my God, you're almost constantly eating. So I I can see how either one of those things, you don't care or you're you're constantly eating. um, You know, maybe you're not eating the right pattern of, uh, of foods, perhaps. Okay. So those are two quotes for you. Um, Mike, I know you've given this a lot of thought. So what do you think about periods of fasting or controlling periods of eating? What are the pros and cons? You know, what do you prefer? That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I would say for most people who are lifting, I tend to prefer if I'm using an intermittent fasting approach, which I've used with clients almost 10 plus years now. Um, take one day, uh, the old kind of Brad Pilon eat, stop, eat, and then progressively do a longer fast. So if let's say Tuesday is kind of your light kind of cardio day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday are lifting on Tuesday, just the first week, maybe only go 12 hours, right? So that's pretty easy. The next week, eh, try to go 14 hours. So push breakfast out by about two hours and the following week go to 16 hours of a fast, you know, so you may push breakfast into lunch and then basically skip lunch, like your breakfast becomes your lunch. And I find by doing that after about six to eight weeks, most people can do one longer fast of 19 to 24 hours relatively easy. That's kind of my preferred method because the other days I still like higher protein, making sure they get recovery, making sure training's good, all that kind of stuff. But once I get up to doing one day of fasting, I think you may get some health benefits from that. I'd say that's still up in the air, but I think you can make an argument for that. Lower levels of insulin, increased use of fats on that day. You know, I would say cutting out a whole whack of calories. And the the nice part, too, is that most people can do that relatively easy. Um, Like in the study they're talking about, if you're super high stressed or you're just not eating a lot, then probably not the best approach um, for you, I have used the 16-8 approach and some other approaches, but that's mainly for clients that are really busy who have already kind of been doing that and had success with it. Uh, it's not normally where I start. the The research, surprisingly, is interesting that if you're doing like an alternate day fast, and again, fasting, there's so many different ways of doing it, you tend not to make up for the amount of calories that you missed on your fasting day. So that was kind of surprising to me. I think Krista Verde presented some of that research a while ago. So I think fasting can be useful, but again, it's just a tool. And I have found that if people come in doing a 16-8 type fast, their food quality tends to be higher overall. And that could just be they're spending more time thinking about their food. They've obviously Mm -hmm. put thought into uh, their diet. They have a little bit more of a compressed eating window, so they tend to be a little bit more 
um, selective. So I think there are some interesting associations there too. Right. Yeah. I I would think that one of the the biggest benefits, the pros, would be that while someone is getting educated on how to eat better, this sort of addresses the calorie intake without ha- requiring a lot of knowledge on yes. how to eat. You just you're looking at the the clock instead of at the menu, you know, kind of thing. And it, I, again, I wouldn't want people to do this and just live on bologna and cheese puffs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it, it is that it's a way to if probably effectively diet. I was just looking at the ISSN position paper on some of this stuff uh, yesterday, and it wasn't super positive about you know intermittent fasting types of things being superior to just cutting calories overall and i do think it's worth pointing out that often the mechanism whether it's keto or intermittent fasting or whatever an underlying mechanism is in fact that you're you're mindful and oftentimes you're consuming less calories uh, overall right uh, so there is an energy balance kind of connection but mike you know what i agree with you that fasting just getting out from constant snacking and refined carbohydrate foods all the time. And again, not so much for weight gain, but for you know people that are just trying not to get fat as they age or something like that. Just allowing your body to be in a fasted state once in a while is sort of a natural state of being. And it kind of reminds your body to, hey, you can burn fat right now. you know, So you're not constantly just um, burning carbohydrates, you know, oxidizing carbs to to exist, you know, reminding your mitochondria and yourself, Hey, you know, fat's a fuel. <laughs> you can burn that yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. There's another study, it's probably five years old now and I'm blanking on the author, but I was just reading it the other day and they did an acute overfeeding study and these were not necessarily lifters, you know, moderately active people. And it was interesting to see some markers of insulin sensitivity go, you know, south within it was about five days of overfeeding. And I want to say the caloric amount was 130, maybe 140%. So it was pretty aggressive. Um, so I do think if you're in the perma-bulk phase forever, perma-bulk. that, yeah, you probably want to keep an eye on some of that stuff. And you probably don't want to hang out there forever. Granted, if you're doing a lot of volume of exercise, that tends to wash away a lot of other sins too so you may may be able to get away with it for longer than most people so true yeah our listeners can get away with more um definitely a lot more um now again providing you don't just think you're lifting but you're actually training (laughs) yeah (laughs) because there's a lot of two sets of preacher curls doesn't count then right yeah yeah. concentration curls once a week yeah it's not gonna cut what what about you phil as far as have you ever done the intermittent fasting with uh, clients or do you think, I don't know, what's your take on all this as far as timing of meals? I know you're a fan of just getting something in before you lift when it comes to like workout yeah. timing. But yeah, what are your thoughts about timing and intermittent fasting and I all that? I kind of naturally do this once I'm away from a meet and part of it's just mental. Um, you just get tired of eating. It's good to take a break. You know? Especially after one of those stages where I'm just eating up, you know, all the time. I like after a meet, like, I'll just skip breakfast a lot of times just because I'm not hungry. And, you know, I just started, I have a meet in like 13 weeks. So I've just started eating again. And, and I'm already tired of eating. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's good to, 
<clears throat> I just, I don't know, it's more my natural way anyways. But even just the to feel hungry again and recognize that feeling is nice. You know, it just, you seem to have more energy and, yeah, I mean, I like going through stages that, you know, take a few months after a meet and just don't, just, just eat when you're hungry. You know, <laughs> you know and then a lot of times that's not right when you wake up. Like yesterday, we didn't eat until oh, two o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. You know, we woke up, got going, went through Yellowstone, did a bunch of stuff there. And uh, then we were hungry. You know, come two o'clock, we're like, man, we need to eat. So, right. Uh, so it's nice to have those breaks. And uh, I don't program it in per se. I mean, I've messed with it some with some clients, but my step for most people is just it's simple. And hey, let's try not eating like an asshole for a while. Hey, let's that works. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, amazing like how adult. far you can get with simple, simple stuff. Um, it's a lot like training. You know, if I get people just squatting, pressing, benching, deadlifting often, magical things happen. If I get you to eat like an adult, for half the year, magical things happen. Mm-hmm. So. Right. I love that that right. phrase, eat like an adult. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because oftentimes, I remember a specific situation, uh, this was last year, but a very overweight person and just kind of walking around all the time with a bag of jelly beans. That's not eating like an adult, right? No. <clears throat> no. Yeah. That's what a child might do, given access, unlimited yeah. access to jelly beans. But, you know, it kind yep. of kind of goes back to that, that article about, you know, if you do want to prevent weight gain, you can't snack constantly, especially mindless snacking. I mean, imagine what that would do. You're just eating dozens and dozens of, of grams of sugar constantly. Like your blood sugar yeah. is what? Your blood sugar is like always 110 or something like that, even if you're otherwise healthy. You know, you actually look pre-diabetic um, yeah. because you're you're just constantly mindlessly reaching into a bag. You know. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's about it, uh, for all of this. I'll, I'll tell you what, let's, um, let's go to break and then we'll briefly, uh, cover the topic of the day. I was remiss about this, but, um, and then we can also, we'll keep it brief because we can also squeeze in, uh, Phil's Q and a, uh, I wanted to touch on what would you tell a child about muscle sports? Because this really boils it down to like what are we about you know um would would you be careful in what you said to them that kind of either your own children or or just a child who you know who you wanted to steer correctly what would you say to a child about muscle sports because we've done this for a long time so i thought that'd be a fun thing to chat about Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. Over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, 
There you go. All right, everybody, we're back. And Phil is running around, uh, you said the state of Montana, right? <laughs> so uh, just to at least get a quick quote from you, Phil, you have kids. Obviously, they're growing up in your facility in a lot of ways. But what what would yes. you tell them about powerlifting or about strength sports? Oh, man, I'm... I'm- probably as blatantly honest with them as I have anybody. I'm just not big into sugarcoating things and lying, and especially <laughs> even from an early age. Uh, you know, like I said, I'd probably use a little more PG talk with them than I would anybody else, but I mean, they need to realize that it's it's years of dedication. And, uh, you know, we talk about that with them a lot, because, you know, the big thing is now is everybody wants things in 30 days to abs. And I'm like, no, this is, you know, and making them realize that's personal as work in 15 years and yeah. things like that. And it's just yeah. the, long, the longevity and the work into it. And uh, just making them appreciate what it took to get there is the mm-hmm. big thing. Mm-hmm. And that you can do it too. You know, that anybody can do it if you're willing to put in the time. You know, and that's all it is, just putting in the time. So, yeah. yeah. I've actually seen some videos recently about mastery. You know, if you can even just start dedicating just 20 minutes a day and how that, yeah. that builds up and you, yeah. Cause you're right, Phil, you wouldn't be much of a marketer. Um, if you were to say 15 years to abs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And no, but I mean, that's a big one. And I use it like with my daughter for, with everything. She, like she recently picked up the guitar and it was like, okay, you need to practice. You know how you, people get good at that? They practice, you know? And I brought up with the guitar thing. I brought up, uh, the late Cliff Burton from Metallica. There was a thing on oh, yeah. him that, uh, where he'd practice like nine hours a day, every day, even when he was on the road. Wow. And it was like, that's what he did to get that good. And that's what you're going to have to do if you want to get that good. There's, there's no shortcut. You know? Right. It's, it's just what people do. Like, if you want to be good at your guitar or skateboard, you got to just do it. Hours and hours and hours of practice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the one. I mean, I just don't like today's society. It's everything's fast. You know, let's skip the steps one through ten and go to step eleven. We can't do that. You know? Right. You need to learn the basics of the training before you can be a master at it. You know. I think we've all probably said this, but you know, the whole ten thousand hours under the squat bar before you should open your yeah. mouth and be an instructor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's something to be said for that, right? Because I don't care if you're jacked yeah. and you're stronger than me. If you're if you're twenty years old. I'm sorry, son. You're just not yeah. old enough to have, you know, yeah. understood the some of the nuances of of what it means to be a lifer and what it means to, you know, really excel. You might be muscling your way through something, but you're not a master. I mean, think about those like kendo, those old kendo guys. They will absolutely school you and, you know, they're 70 <laughs> some yeah. of those guys yeah, exactly. um that's yeah. that's kind of what i'm talking about so well cool phil i know that you um you got a, a seminar to do and a lot of cool stuff to look at so uh yep. th- we'll thanks for squeezing they're excited about that part so i'll shoot you that later right on yeah so gabby and sean we said hi i will yes totally see you later all right mike that that has you up then um what do you think? What would you tell uh, a child about strength sports or muscle sports? Um, it's hard to boil down in a lot of ways, but... Yeah, I mean, I... So the first two things I think about is, one, more sports 
performance and then how that kind of leads into more muscle sports. I got this from uh, Dr. Brian Grasso, who used to do the IYCA for many years, and I've worked with him in the past on the Mindset Performance Institute and stuff. And he brought up a really good point for youth athletes training. He's like, okay, so why are we doing this at like a high level? Like, are most of these people, is little Johnny going to be, you know, elite NHL, NBA, whatever player? Probably not. I don't know that the exact odds are, but it's probably like 0.01% or something. It's very, very small. So why are we teaching them? Like, what is the overarching goal? Do we really believe all these people are going to be professional athletes in whatever sport it is? Or could we train them and do both? Like, train them to get better at their sport. Some of them will go on to do that as a profession. Um, But can we also teach them you know, life skills and goal setting and putting in the work and all the things that we learn from, you know, lifting and sport. So that's kind of more the direction I would take, even with just weightlifting, you know, even if you don't have a performance goal per se, other than just the amount of weight being lifted is that most things are entirely possible if you're practicing and doing, you know, good practice so I always think of like books like the Talent Code uh, that are similar to that, and you kind of think long enough, and like Phil was saying, you know, put in the hours, <clears throat> and those skills therefore will have a positive transfer to other aspects of your life. Which again, that part I think you can explain as they get older, um, because even talking to, um, I won't say his name because it's a private conversation, but. Uh, one of the former top uh, lifters at Westside, uh, super awesome dude, he was saying that it was crazy for him, this is years ago, to see some of those lifters who were so dedicated to lifting, but the rest of their life was just a complete disaster because they hadn't figured out that the skill sets they had accumulated in the weight room could be transferred to the rest of their life. You know, And I know Dave Tate has talked a lot about this too. So I think lifting serves as a way to put time into a journey, and you do get feedback along the way. So if we just look at a bench press, right? I mean, I, I remember in high school literally getting uh, pinned by the empty bar, like literally the empty bar. <laughs> wow, yeah. And getting to college, and I remember the first time in college I did 95 pounds, and I got like three reps. I was like, wow, that's cool. And the guy who was spotting me at the time, this guy named Aaron, was a basketball player there. So at St. Scholastica in Duluth. And he goes, oh, good job, man. I was like, oh, thank you. And he then does like a set of 10 curls with my bench press. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, but you could still see progress along the way, no yes. matter where you start at. Um, and I think that's useful too because it's without the direct feedback I think it's much easier to get lost alright so I think of engineering systems where you have more direct control and you see an outcome in a short period of time that makes it very easy to make changes if we use the analogy of a race car right race cars you want a high amount of input and output to be very very tightly matched if I turn the steering wheel to the right and the wheels don't turn for like two seconds later, 
that's going to be really hard to figure out. And the longer that delay gets, the more removed you are from sort of effort you put in and output. But with training, that's much more coupled tightly together. Oh, yeah, I was doing 95 for three reps, and then, oh, next week I came back in. Oh, I got 95 for four reps. Oh, cool. All right, you may not be able to see lean body mass changes or body fat changes or some other metrics as fast, but you can see changes. And then the other part, too, is that realizing that all these systems are nonlinear and most things in life are nonlinear, and humans like to think very linear. Right, so you keep thinking, oh, well, if I just keep doing this, I'll be benching, you know, 400 by the end of the year. And it doesn't quite work that way, right? So you're faced with the reality that it's a nonlinear approach, which transfers to everything else in your life, whether that's getting into college, starting your own business, uh, whatever. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of skills you can learn by lifting and improving your health and confidence and everything else. And those skills can then transfer to the rest of your life. And if you just get in the habit of of doing that and a little bit of kind of, you know, delayed returns, which I think has probably been overblown with the whatever it was, the cookie or the marshmallow study that's kind of sort of been debunked at this point with the kids. Oh right, I remember. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but I do think there is a lot of skills that can be taught. My pet peeve is coaches who push people too hard and too fast and then aren't using it for a way to teach them about life right because if you have i mean you know how many people have we interviewed on this program who can think back to you know a coach that they had that was like super instrumental and in even potentially changing their life and it wasn't that they necessarily became an elite athlete per se in their sport or they did well <clears throat> They always talk about the the skills and everything else they learned along the way that therefore made them successful in life. Yeah, that's good. I I suppose one way I'm trying to think about how you would relate some of this to a kid. Like I've always looked at it like – let me back up. I've been reading a lot of – listening to audiobooks on my commute to work and stuff on stoic philosophy and i Mm -hmm. love that old i think it was marcus aurelius said the obstacle is the way and that's a pretty advanced concept for a child right like wait what's blocking me is what i want you know that's kind of a hard concept but one way uh, sort of to what phil was saying and what you're saying as far as transferability is um well, it's sort of I, I mentioned um, those old kendo guys. Uh, the credo, sort of, I think of I believe it's the American Kendo Federation is something along the lines of uh, character development through the use of the sword. Right? It's sort mm-hmm. of t- what you're saying: discipline, practice, time spent, and that's what I've always liked about martial arts. It's not so much the MMA yes. thing as like I have the most superior skill set; I can take down anybody. It's more character development, you know. Um, and I, I, I'm a firm believer that the only way to build confidence in something is to see success. Right? You need v- verifiable, validated success in something. It's the only way to gain confidence. And to your point, Mike, it's almost guaranteed in a timely fashion when you start grabbing yes. a barbell. All you have to do is especially start. At first. Yeah. Oh, especially, right? Exactly. 
In fact, I read a paper this past week. God, I should have printed it off. Um, we have nitpickers like Arthur Lynch that listen to us. He's like, Lonnie, you're killing me. I need the reference, you know. But <laughs> but the point the point being was uh, it actually asked people about a strength training or like a fat loss program and how they the people that were you know they were gravitating toward the strength program, not the fat loss. Of course they were right because you get like to your point. Uh, Timely feedback, success, and confidence. Oh, I can bench 95 pounds four times now. I couldn't do that before, you know. So confidence building um, is maybe a, a good way to explain that. Or I suppose to a kid you could even say, you know those Marvel superheroes you think are so cool? You can actually get a little taste of that. Like it's almost guaranteed. You know, you can become stronger than the people around you. You can become confident, and, you know, and that sort of thing. So... Uh, that's what kind of drew me to it. I think there's probably a good number of muscle nerds out there that did, you know, read comic books and fantasy things and, you know, t- epic tales of heroes and this and that. And then when you start lifting, you're like, oh, like, I'm getting a little taste of that. That's very addictive. You know, I'm not saying anybody's going to lift a VW bug over their head like Spider-Man. But, yeah. but you know, literally within... 15 years, you might be lifting the bumper and the back tires off the ground. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk, you know? Yeah. And it's super empowering, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've always loved that obstacle is the way idea, um, character building, again, things like discipline and stuff like that. I just can't think of an, another way. It's almost like the riddle of steel, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about you can't trust anything in life. This you can trust because uh, – it does feel like coming home. No matter where I go or where I work, I can grab a barbell and feel home. Um, and I think that's why us older guys, me, you, Phil, a lot of our listeners, uh, guys and gals, of course, um, that's why we're lifers because we come home. I think Tom Platt said that, you know, yeah. you're, you're home. Uh, I agree with that uh, a lot. So anyway. Yeah, and I think that is probably the biggest thing that sounds like so nihilistic but that does give me hope in terms of society at large (laughs) (laughs) especially not to rip on younger people but you always see the negative things about people that uh come after you like i don't know i don't think it matters when you kind of pick a spot in time right every you know, your parents, your grandparents were like, oh, when I was a kid, we walked, you know, uphill both ways. We forged twigs for lunch. And Mm. I think there's just some of that that's inherent in getting older and more curmudgeon-y, I think. But I do think that seeing how many people are into, you know, sports and, you know, lifting of any form, whether it's just, you know, for bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, get better at your sport, whatever. To me, that gives me a lot of hope that, those people are going to learn those lessons if they just stay with it. And I don't coach a lot of kids anymore. I only did for a very short period of time. Hmm. That's also why I get so annoyed when kids just get burnt out and have all these, you know, early injuries and you're, you're missing. I feel bad because I think they may be missing out on those opportunities and it wasn't necessarily their fault either. You know, it's just they got some bad information. They were in a bad system. Um, but to see the amount of people who are still interested in sports and lifting uh, does give me a lot of hope just in general. Right. 
I think honestly, the barrier to entry is pretty low. Like if you want to learn yes. to play piano, there could be some frustrations along the way. And I'm not saying there couldn't be with lifting, but literally just grab that barbell or dumbbell and exert against it. <laughs> you know, repeat, <laughs> wash, rinse, yeah. repeat. Now, obviously, people need some idea of proper form and that sort of thing. But you know what I mean? As far as actual barrier to entry, there's almost nothing keeping anyone from grabbing a dumbbell, you know, um, or somehow engaging in resistance exercise, uh, you know, barring extreme physical, you know, um, challenges. But yeah, I like the idea that almost anybody can do this. And you could tell a kid, you know, this is do this regularly, you know, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, the whole three sets of 10. Uh, I think I probably started with something like three sets of 10 of benching cement weights off my floor. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Poor range of motion. You know, you could critique it eight ways to Sunday, but it, it started everything. It gave me enough feedback that I, I went and I bought, I mowed lawns and bought a set. Like it was probably like 30 bucks at the time, you know, and, yeah, so the the barrier is is pretty low, and yeah, any kid who expresses interest, I think it's it's good to teach to show them like this is this is you, this is you driven, right? This is self driven. You can grab these things, and now with all so much information online, I mean, yeah, again, unfortunately, a lot of unskilled people are presuming to offer tutorials, but yeah. Um, you know, you should be able to maybe with a little bit of parental help or coach's help find some clues. You know, I remember Bill Pearl's Guide to the Inner Universe or Arnold Schwarzenegger's oh, yeah. Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. Man, gold. These kinds of things are gold. Um, yeah. I mean, I started lifting my first year in college. I had access to the weight room there. And then I, I bought, a, I think I had them at home and I brought them up to school. My old, dp plastic uh weights that were filled with sand nice and i didn't have a bench press because I, <clears throat> I was just living in a studio apartment off campus at first and i was like okay bench press well maybe if i just put it on the floor and i just kind of wiggle my way under it I'm like oh my elbows hit the floor I'm like well whatever i you know it took me five years to realize oh that's actually called the floor press <laughs> <laughs> right it, it, it is a thing <laughs> you know yeah you know three by ten and you know, later you realize that, oh, yeah, DeLorme came up with that in, what, 1961 or something? He's a physical therapist who did weight training. And I remember getting the Poliquin Principles, like one of Charles's first books, and he talked about a 10 by 3 and, like, 5 by 5, which is from Bill Starr. Mm-hmm. And my head exploded, like, four years later when I'm like, oh, my God, you can change loading parameters, right, you know? Right, <laughs> No, I know exactly what you mean. Like, 5 by 5, it was like a... Oh, like I don't have oh, to do three by that ten. Another universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I hope if, if uh, listeners have kids, or you know, if you just want to think about the the essence of what you do, think about how you would explain it to a child. Uh, if you're interested, you could fire something through IronRadio.org. Fortress will presumably always, you know, forward us those emails and that kind of stuff. So. It'd be interesting to see what some of our listeners, how they would explain muscle sports to their kids. I know at least bodybuilding specifically, I'll just close with this, is I did not take my son to bodybuilding shows when he was little and I was lifting. I didn't want 
maybe the wrong message there. I mean, I love the, the weight room stuff. I love the training and the discipline. But there was an element of theatrics and almost abusive dieting and self-absorption um, and a little weirdness, Mike. You, you and I know as adults, oh, yeah. there's a weird <laughs> you know, subculture floats around bodybuilding. And I Especially just, when you're not used to it. You know, you're coming in for the first time. It's like, woo. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes, indeed. And so I, I just didn't want, personally, I didn't want that for him. I wanted the purity of bodybuilding and muscle building and not so much that part. Um, and people may disagree. If you do, you can send an email. But anyway. All right. Let's, we'll cut it there. And then hopefully Phil can send us some Q&A. And that'll be it for this week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.